Well, hey guys, welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor. So you never know who's in a show of a church, which is always great. And I was just so surprised today. One of my friends, the very first person that I met when I moved to Florida almost 15 years ago, showed up today and it was great seeing her. She took me out the very first night I was in this state. She's got all kinds of stories. Do not ask her about the things that I've done in my past. Anyway, so it was great to see her. But if it is your first time, we are coming near the end of this series called The More You Know. And the idea behind this series is that in ministry, so many times people come up to me and they say, hey, I've been a Christian for however many long, years, months, days, whatever the case may be. Um, but can you help me understand what I'm supposed to believe about this particular issue or this particular aspect? Can you kind of give me a little bit of clarification, a little bit more knowledge because I'm a little bit confused. And this is a great question, because the truth is that at some point in your life, someone is going to ask you about your faith. Not just the faith in general, not just about Christianity at large, but what do you specifically believe in? I mean, you call yourself a Christian, so what do you specifically believe in? And the big question is, will you be prepared to answer them? Because they're always going to catch you off guard. It's always going to be when you least expect it. Will you be prepared to answer them? Now, I think we actually have a responsibility to know what we believe. And we get this idea from Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus. And he says this. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, specifically in this instance, Peter's saying, Someone's going to ask you at some point in your life why you've said yes to Jesus. You need to have a response prepared. And I think many of us have said yes to Jesus, but if we're being honest with them, if someone said, hey, tell me why, I think we might just go, oh, I just do. Our hope in this series is that we can give you enough information so that you can have an articulate answer about why you believe the things that you believe. When you have these kind of conversations, whether we're talking about Jesus or we're talking about creation or, or the reliability of the Bible or even Satan, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, whatever the case may be, whether they're trying to simply learn more from you or maybe they're trying to challenge you, Peter says, do this with gentleness and respect. You see, we take our lead from Jesus, and, and Jesus never tried to ram his beliefs down anyone's throat. He had truth. He was truth, but if someone didn't want to believe it, he just goes, all right, that's your prerogative. So we want to be gentle and respectful when we have these conversations. So today, the kind of question that we need to answer is, I hate to say controversial, but it has become that. Um, and it's certainly become politicized. And one of the things that we do not do in this church is talk politics. We, are, we take a firm stance of no politics from this stage or any kind of our social media presence. We think that politics do not belong in the church at all at any level. But this topic today has become politicized. And the question that we have to answer today is this. Is Christianity sexist? Because many think it is. Culture will tell you. It's sexist. It's outdated. It's misogynistic. Is this the case? We need to discuss this today. But I want to say something that could get me in trouble. Not with this church, um, but there's people watching online. We don't know many of them. This goes out into iTunes and it goes onto YouTube. And the statement that I'm going to make, I'm sure I will get an email about. But as a man and as someone in ministry, 
I just feel it's my responsibility to say this to you guys. Women have been made to feel like second-class citizens within the local church. Let me say it again. Women have been made to feel like second-class citizens within the local church. This is not every church, but I'm talking the church at large has made women feel like they're not equal. That they can't do ministry in the same way that men do. And this is wrong. And if you felt this way, I'm sorry. See, but what we need to answer today is that is this happening because of Jesus or in spite of Jesus? That's the big question that we have to answer today. So to have this discussion, we need to hit the reset because I think many of us are coming into this idea about whether or not it's sexist or not or, or women in the church or women in Christianity. I think a lot of us have preconceived notions. Whether we think it is sexist or maybe we think, how dare you even say that? What are you crazy? I think we all have some notion on this topic. So we need to hit the reset. We need to go back to the beginning we need to walk through this together to get an accurate picture of what is going on in this faith when it comes to women. So the first thing you have to realize is that when we're talking about Christianity, when we're talking about the New Testament, which is where Christianity was birthed, we're talking about 2,000 years ago. And then we say this and we don't really step back and think about how long ago 2,000 years is. Think about what has happened in just the last hundred years in terms of technological achievements. Now we're talking 2000. We're not even talking 1776, the beginning of this country, and think how much has changed. We're talking 2000 years. Think about America 2000 years from now, 4018. Probably won't even be here. But I mean, a lot happens in 2000 years. Now, this isn't me setting up some excuse for people that lived a long time ago. We just need to be realistic that we are dealing with people and a culture and a time from a very long time ago. So when we're talking about the Bible, when we're talking about the New Testament, when we're talking about Jesus, we have to understand that there were, in essence, three major cultures that Jesus was involved with, that are involved in the New Testament. We're talking about Greeks, we're talking about Romans, and we're talking about Jews. So how did these three cultures, if these were the, you know, the primary cultures of the time, how did these three cultures treat women? When we think about Greeks, we think about Aristotle and Socrates and, 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 and higher education, really high-minded thinking. But how did they treat women? Well, for the Greeks, women couldn't leave the house without a male escort. Women could not leave the house without a male escort. We learned that women couldn't eat or interact with male guests. So if there was a dinner party at their home and the husband's friends came over, the wives could not interact. The wives could not eat. The wives could not socialize. They had to be hidden away. They were not allowed to be educated at all. In spite of all the education that Greece is known for, they could not partake. And they couldn't speak in public. Now, this is a common denominator you're going to see throughout the entire day. How about Rome? Let's talk about Rome. Because where Jesus lived, he was under Roman occupation. Romans were everywhere. The great Roman Empire. So the Romans had a law called Patria Potesta. It's Latin for power of the father. 
Now, this law stated specifically that the father had the ultimate and absolute authority of life and death over his family. His wife, his kids, he was in control of it all. Additionally, we learn that they can't speak in public. Again, something we see time and time again. Now, this is interesting. Women in Rome could ask for a divorce, but they would always lose the children. At no point could a woman hold on to her kids if she asked for a divorce or was divorced. Now, I'm just giving you a couple of snippets about Greek and Roman culture. There's tons of stuff. I just chose a couple. How about Jews? Remember, Jesus was Jewish. So what was his culture? How did that culture that he lived in treat women? First, women couldn't speak in public. Part of Jewish culture. They couldn't read the Torah out loud. That was their holy book. And worship was segregated. So what's happening here? Men and women sitting together, girls and boys, couldn't happen. Women were in a different room. Men were in another room. They could not come together. So this is how the top three cultures lived and believed and treated women. How did Jesus operate within this? I mean, if he himself was a Jew, if he was under the Roman Empire, if he rubbed elbows on a daily basis with Greeks, what, how did this rub off on him? What did he do? How did he navigate all of these social norms? So one of the things you have to do in this discussion is you have to take a scalpel and you have to almost surgically remove Jesus and his disciples out of the Bible and then juxtapose them with the people at the time. Meaning, you have to line them up next to one another. How did Jesus and his disciples treat women when compared to his contemporaries? This is when you really begin to see a difference in how Jesus and his disciples treat women. So I was trying to figure out how do we have this conversation because there's so much to teach you about this. Um, I thought the best way to do it would be to find a passage, an interaction with Jesus, and to show you how he leads by example when it comes to women. So the story we're going to talk about today is called Jesus with the Samaritan Woman at the Well. A very famous story. In fact, we covered this story almost a year ago in a very different way. But the way that I want to do it today with you guys is to look at it through the lens of women. And see, when you're a 21st century American, whether you're a man or you're a woman, you're going to look at this story off the bat and you're going to go, well, this seems pretty tame, John. I don't really see much going on here. But what I want to show you is that when Jesus did what I'm about to show you that he does, when his fellow Jews heard this story, when the Romans heard about this account, when the Greeks heard about what he did, they would have considered it to be extreme, if not radical. So let's begin. We're in John 4. Now, this story takes place the entire chapter of John 4. I've pulled out just the pertinent sections. I would encourage you to go back to read it if you want. It's interesting. But it says this. So he, this is Jesus, so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. 
he was alone at that time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? She, she's confused. She goes, what is, what's going on here? I mean, you as a Jew, and I as a Samaritan woman, what is happening here? So let's pause, because just in this small section, there is so much going on here. So the first thing that we miss that Jesus' contemporaries would have seen is the fact that Jesus was not afraid to be alone with a woman. This was not a problem for him. But you need to understand, and you saw the laws of Greece and Rome, this would have been considered wildly inappropriate for a man to be alone with a woman. Wildly inappropriate. But what Jesus is doing here is he's saying that he was not going to let culture wrongly dictate to whom he could minister. He goes, I understand what culture is saying, but that's not going to stop me because I came here to reach every single person, Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, man, woman. Culture is not going to tell me who I can socialize with. The other thing is, she's Samaritan. Now, this is kind of lost on us, and I don't have a ton of time to get into this, but you have to understand that Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Now, in fairness of the Samaritans, the Jews hated Samaritans. Briefly, what happened many, many years ago before this story took place, Jews and Samaritans were, in essence, one people group. But as the years went on, they began to um, sort of diverge. And the Samaritans began having beliefs that were very different than the Jews, entirely unorthodox, entirely unorthodox. And so the Jews had nothing to do with it. So Jesus was teaching these people and saying, I'm not going to let culture tell me about this either. Now, there's one other fact that we miss. We see this takes place at noontime. Now, this is a fact that we completely look over. Let me ask you a question. It's hot in South Florida. One of the things that you have to understand is that the Middle East is as hot as South Florida. Now, if you were to go out of town and you were to go get a bucket of water and carry major buckets of water, you got to schlep all the way out of town, you got to fill it with water, and you had to drag it back into town, would you do this at the hottest time of the day? No. No. Why would she do this? What are we learning through this? Now, I'll show you later on when we learn exactly the answer. But what we learn here is that this woman, for some reason, is trying to avoid other people. Something has gone on in her life that has made her an outcast. And she knows that if she goes in the cool times of day, at night or in the morning, she would run into these people and she would be judged. Very interesting. Something else happens. Jesus says to her, Give me a drink of water. What's he doing there? Jesus is starting a conversation with a woman. Now we hear this and we go, well, that's not a big deal, right? Oh, this is a very big deal. Because in Jewish culture, in Jewish law, don't miss this. And this is something Jesus would have known. Jewish law said this. He who talks with a woman in public brings evil upon himself. Abeth, 1.5. Now you're probably saying, Abeth 1.5, what is that? That's not in my Bible. You're right, it's not. This is in the Talmud. 
This is something that Jewish rabbis created outside of the Hebrew Bible to help men not sin. So this is not of God. This is of man. Their law also said this. One is not so much as to greet a woman. Barakah, 43b. And this is all banging around in Jesus' mind while he's doing this. And he's saying, guys, 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 no, no, no. Let me lead by example. Let me show you how to do this. He does something even more amazing. Jesus demonstrates that women deserve the truth, that's a capital T, and he's willing to teach them. Let me show you how this happens, how this plays out. Jesus replies to her, if you only knew the gift of God, the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Now, when Jesus is talking about living water, he's talking about salvation. He is now beginning to show this woman what salvation is. He is entering into a teaching moment with this woman. And she responds, and she says, where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestors, Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? See, what we're seeing here is this give and take discussion where a man, Jesus, is teaching a woman and she's getting involved and she's learning, but this is wildly inappropriate because Jewish law says this, let the words of the law, that's the Torah, be burned rather than taught to a woman. This is Jesus' culture. This is what he would have been taught himself. He also would have known that culture was saying, if a man teaches his daughter the law, it is as though he taught her lechery. What is lechery? I had to look it up. Basically means slutty. Basically they're saying, if you educate your daughter, you're going to turn her into a slut. That's harsh words. But that is the Jewish culture. That is what he lived in. That is what he saw. But he did the exact opposite. And I'm going to show you another example. What I want to do is I want to jump out of this story real quick. This is a great example about how Jesus says that women deserve to be taught. And it takes place in Luke 10. It says this, And Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, based on what you've heard already, I think you can look at this and know exactly why this is unusual for the time. I mean, first of all, Martha has opened up her home to men. Now Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus alongside male disciples, and she's comfortable, and she feels welcome, and she is learning. Now look at how Martha responds to this. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and she came to him, this is Jesus, she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? I mean, tell her to come help me. Tell her to come help me. What she's saying is like, hold on. Jesus, doesn't this bother you as a Jewish male that my sister is sitting in here with the guys, that she's learning at your feet? Tell her to get back into the kitchen. This is where we're supposed to be. What is going on here? And I just love Jesus' response. He goes, Martha, Martha, stop, 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 stop. You are worried. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. And look at this. 
Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus is saying, look, Martha, I understand. Okay, I get it. This is your house. You're the host. There's some things to do. But you have a choice in this life. You have a choice as a woman. You do not need to be doing that in there. You can come out here with us, with the men. We are equal, and you can learn. Because, Jesus is saying, this learning, sitting at my feet, this is a better thing than the role that you have put yourself into. You have a choice. You are equal. You can do this. Back to the old story. See, Jesus now is beginning to have this conversation with this woman at the well. He's beginning to enter into this deeper theological discussion, but she doesn't know who he is at all. Not about Jesus, but like she doesn't, she doesn't know him at all. And so what Jesus wants to do is he wants to shock her. He needs to get her attention so that she will truly hear something amazing. And he says to her this, go and get your husband. Out of nowhere, go, get your husband. She goes, I don't, I don't have a husband. And then he says this, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. See, in this instance, we have learned why this woman was out at the well at noon. We don't know what happened here, we don't know why she was married so many times. We don't know how this, this situation happened. But this, in that culture, that's why she's at it noon. Because she would have been an outcast for this. But look at how Jesus talked to her. Very respectful. He didn't judge her. He didn't go back to any kind of insults or stereotypes. He goes, yeah, you've spoken the truth. That's the truth. And because Jesus was respectful to her, look at how she responded. She said, sir, you must be a prophet. You must be a prophet. And so what happened next is they got into this very long theological discussion. They talked about the differences between Samaritans and Jews. And we're going to skip over that. It is kind of interesting. You can go back and read it. But what Jesus shows this woman, he shows her that as a Samaritan, you got a lot of stuff wrong. There's a lot of things that you thought was right that actually isn't right. And by the time the discussion begins to conclude, she says, you know what, Jesus? I don't understand it all. I don't know it all, but I do know one thing. I do know one thing. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything. And then Jesus does something absolutely amazing. He says to her, I am the Messiah. For the very first time in Jesus' life, for the very first time in Jesus' life, he announces that he is the Messiah. And he tells a woman. I mean, think about that. The very first time those words exit his lips, I am the Messiah, he tells a woman. Why? Why now? Why this person? Why a woman? Because Jesus trusted the untrusted with the most important message the world has ever heard. 
And what's so fascinating, that every major announcement about Jesus, his birth, his messiahship, his resurrection, was first announced to a woman. Not a man, not royalty, not even a disciple, but a woman. Why? What was going on with this? I believe that what man would denigrate, God would elevate. You see, in this culture, women were so oppressed that they couldn't even testify in a court of law. Whatever came out of their mouth, you weren't to believe. And yet God was saying, oh, you're not going to listen? I'm going to force you to listen to women because I'm going to give them the most important news this world has ever or will ever hear, that Jesus is who he says that he is. You're going to listen to him. I'm going to elevate women like you've never seen before. Story ends. It says, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village. She just dropped everything and ran, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? It says that the Samaritans swarmed out to the well. It says many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. Now, remember, Samaritans hate Jews. Jews hate Samaritans. And yet Jesus is being begged to stay. And in spite of cultural pressure, Jesus stays. In fact, he stays for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. They said to the woman, now, now we believe. Not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. And I just love this last line. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. See, what I love about this interaction is that through word and deed, Jesus elevates the status of women. Everything he's doing in this interaction and throughout his whole life is an attempt to elevate the status of women and to set them free from the culture that they lived in. It's incredible. Very progressive. Very amazing. Now, if you've been a Christian for a long enough time, at this point in the message, you're probably saying, that's great. I didn't know that. But it seems like you're ignoring that one verse. That one verse that's in the Bible, it doesn't seem like you're talking about that one. Why? So let's talk about the big meatball, as I would call it. Um, okay. So the reason I wanted to wait to the end is because I wanted you guys to see an accurate portrayal of Jesus. An accurate picture of how God thinks of women. How Jesus treated women. How he thought of them. How he elevated them. How he went to them how he taught them, how he loved them, how he respected them. I wanted you to have that in your mind before we landed on the big meatball. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the verse in Ephesians where it says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands 
as you do to the Lord. It's the verse that just makes you cringe. I mean, really, you, you know, it's one of those verses you go, eh, next, next, next. Okay? I was talking to somebody at DHC Nights this week, and they go, you know, our first date was at a church where the guy preached about this the whole time. It was great. Very awkward. Okay? <laughs> but this is, the truth is that this verse, when read by us, is cringeworthy. Could make you mad. I know people that makes mad. And it's confusing because you're like, wait, you just said everything about Jesus. And I believe all of that. But what is the deal with this? What is going on here? What you have to understand is that when Paul, the man who wrote this, when he wrote this to the original audience, nobody would have batted an eye. Not a man, not a woman, not a Jew, not a Greek, not a Roman. They would have heard this and they would have go, next, problem, what's the problem? This isn't an issue. This isn't a problem for us. This is what we know. This is par for the course. This is patria potesta. Of course, women submit to their husbands. This is not a problem. See, but the reason I believe that God inspired Paul to put this into the scriptures, as awkward as it is for us to read it, is I believe that God wanted to redeem that which has been demeaned. What has been demeaned in culture, in that culture? Women, marriages, relationships, and what I believe that God wanted to do in this verse was to flip patria potesta on its head. Men, you think it's all about you? Oh, wait and see. Wait to see. Because the verse that we forget, the verse that becomes, that happens just before this one, says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul is saying, men, women, because of what Jesus did for you on that cross, I'm asking you, submit to one another. He's talking about mutual submission. And the thing that we forget, or maybe we just don't know, is that submission is a choice. God is saying, you are both equal. You both have free will in this world. And I'm asking you, because of what Jesus did on the cross, that you would submit to each other, that you would lay down your own life, your own wants, your own desires for each other. But then he looks at the men, and he goes, all right, hot shots. You think you had it good? You like the patria potesta? Let me talk to you right now. And he says this, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. You must, and this is the command, you must love them as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for it. So men should love their wives as they love their own bodies. So every man must love his wife as he loves himself. He's saying, guys, you may have been taught that it's all about you. You may have been on easy street for the last hundreds of years, but I'm telling you this. When you say yes to Jesus, everything changes. When you say yes to Jesus, when you call yourself a Christian, guess what? It's all about her now, and it's all about Jesus. You want to be head of your house? Great. 
Now you must die to yourself. Everything you knew is Pachia Potesta, no more. This is a game changer, folks. This verse that we cringe at, this verse that we wish wasn't there, is actually very empowering because it flips culture on its head, and it's a game changer for relationships. It's a game changer for marriages. So what's the practical? If it's your first time here at DHC, every week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure that you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So, the first practical is for women. And I would just ask that you'd be encouraged by this. That you would be encouraged that your Savior, should you say yes to him, loves you, respects you, sees you as an equal to men, desire to teach you, desire to elevate you in society every step of the way. My prayer would be that because of today, that if you have encountered sexism inside the local church, that you would recognize that it is not because of Jesus, it's in spite of Jesus. That's a big difference. Men, my challenge would be this. Be sensitive. Be sensitive. What do I mean by that? You have to understand, whether we believe it or not, women aren't getting a fair shake in things, especially in the local church. You may not have seen that, but they feel it. Jesus may not have taught it to be that way, but that is the case sometimes. And as my old boss once told me, perception is reality. And this is the reality for so many women, so many of our sisters and wives and friends. And so just be sensitive to this, to their situation. Take the lead of Jesus. Help to empower them in the church. Elevate them, care for them, especially in your own marriage. Lastly, for both men and women, I would challenge you to be a part. Be a part of the local church. Get involved in ministry and volunteering. Because here at DHC, we take Jesus' lead. We think men and women are equal. We think you can get plugged in at all aspects of this church. So my challenge would you to be this. Get in the game. Men and women, let's serve together. Let's serve each other. Let's serve this city. Let's serve God. We will find a place for you to serve alongside one another. Remember that in spite of cultural pressures, Jesus saw women as equal.